Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Welcome in to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. I am Mr. Wonderful, and this is the COVID edition of Awesome Con coverage. Because, yeah, what's new in my life? I have COVID. So, this will be short and sweet and right to the point. We're continuing with the Awesome Con 2022 coverage. And first up, we're just going to get into it this week. Uh, A lot to cover. We have two panels this week. Uh, There were four panels on the Sunday edition of awesome con that i was a part of uh, we're going to save the last two panels for next week's episode because that's noah schnapp and sean astin so in lead up to stranger things season four's finale uh, as mentioned by review it rob he suggested it i am saving the noah schnapp stranger things talk for next week as a hype up and since sean astin also was in stranger things He talked a little bit about that at AwesomeCon, so I'll have his panel as well. But we'll get into it uh, here in just a minute. want to hit the business really quickly. Again, I got COVID brain, so I'm a little all over the place right now. Uh, But if you haven't done it yet, go ahead, like Thrill Me Podcast Network on Facebook. Also, you can find Haunters Podcast on Instagram. That is the other show I am a part of with the Thrill Me Podcast Network. I mentioned Review It Rob. His show came out yesterday. He does reviews, talks all the entertainment news. Uh, You got Tombstone Josh. He's got the Metal Groove. That came out this past Monday. He talked a little bit about new metal. That's a pretty sweet episode you want to go check out. And then tomorrow, Zach Speakeasy, new episode dropping with my buddy Zach Hilton from Haunters Podcast. And you can check out the new episode of Haunters Podcast. Also, we have the Thrill Me Podcast Patreon page so if you go to patreon search for throw me podcast network you can become a part of that there's a great haunters podcast rant that is behind the paywall that you can go check out also if my throat and everything is good there will be a new episode of the crypt of horror as well this weekend where i review tales from the crypt and we'll see what happens with that because again covid makes things very interesting I've gone through pretty much every, each day has been a different experience of COVID. The first day was aches and pains, no real appetite. Second day has became the cough and the chest pains. And here in day three, it's a lot of congestion. Still got the chest stuff going on, as you can hear. So with that being said, let's get into it. Uh, This week, we are going into Awesome Con coverage again, day three. This is the Sunday edition of the show. I'm starting to run out of breath, so uh, here we go. First up, kicking the morning off bright and early at 10.30 was a packed house for the Nickelodeon panel, Kel Mitchell, Melissa Joan Hart. I do want to apologize. This one had a bit of an issue as well with the recording. I was recording it. I was chilling. I was relaxing. I had the recorder right there on my lap, and then out of nowhere, the recorder fell out of my lap, so you're going to hear a pop. That's me dropping the recorder, and then Kel Mitchell is going to come back in 
after that. So uh, here we go. Melissa Joan Hart, Kel Mitchell from Awesome Con 2022. Enjoy it. I love the 
stories that they tell me, like they were going through a bad day and then they watched Candy Kill or all that and they put a big smile on their face. And uh, that's why I like doing the cons, because I get to hear like the, the cool stories of you know how it made them feel. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to try to scoot my chair back because it occurs to me that I'm a little far forward. I'm, probably you guys are stuck looking at the knots in the back of my hair because it was a disaster getting ready this morning. Let's go for a question over here. What's your name? Where are you from? Hi, uh, I'm Heather Marie. I live in Washington, D.C. Hey. Um, hi, Heather Marie. Uh, Melissa, this is a question for you. Um, first of all, Clarissa was my style icon in the 90s. Um, actually, that is something I do hear a lot is that like people got into fashion because of Clarissa, or I heard someone say to Beth Broderick yesterday, who played Aunt Zelda on Sabrina, that they got into science because well, we was talking about that as well, which you, I have to love that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I'm curious if you think that Clarissa and Sam ever end up together. Uh-oh. <laughs> what do you think? I think so. When they get older and they realize. There is a book, actually, that the writer, Mitchell Kriegman, wrote called um, Things I Can't Explain, and it was uh, like a later version of Clarissa. And we were working on a reboot for Nickelodeon for a minute there, but the heads all changed and um, and it, it just got, I guess, just disappeared. But um, his version, Mitchell, the, the showrunner, the creator, he's been living with this version of Clarissa, which I think is like, he was thinking about how she grows up. I've been thinking about her in the past. Whenever I talk to you guys and talk about who she was and what she did and how she, you know, what she wore and how she behaved and what she believed. And so I think I, I, I still hold on to her as she was. And I feel like the fans kind of do too, but there's things I can't explain. You guys should check it out, because um, I wonder if you would agree with it. Um, uh, in that book, apparently, mom and, I actually stopped reading it, because I got kind of disturbed. But <laughs> mom and dad are divorced, and uh, Clarissa lives in the city, but she doesn't like the city. And I, it was. It was weird, it was like, we had done a CBS pilot, we were gonna bring it to CBS, and she was going to New York City, she was gonna be a journalist, and we did this great pilot, and um, and it was all about her becoming a journalist in New York City, and being adventurous, and loving the, the pulse of the city, and then the book, a few years later, 20 years later, is like, the opposite. She's terrified of the city, and she's scared of everything, and I was like, I think that the writer kind of took it like made it a middle-aged man going through a midlife crisis instead of like who Clarissa was. So I'm not be. I'd be curious if you guys uh, next con you guys come out and tell me what you think of the book. Thank you for your question. Hi, question. Over. I guess, wait, I didn't really answer. I guess. <laughs> wait, really? Wait, let me go back to that. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, I think it's too much of a special relationship. <laughs> awesome. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm Danielle from Salem, Mass. Hi. Hey. Um, so I was wondering, as actors on shows geared towards children your own age, did you guys get to have any input on the content in the tele- in the shows? I like that question. That's a really good one. Yeah, we totally did uh, on all that. Uh, a lot of my characters that I did in the uh, audition room, um, I was able to put into the show. Uh, the writers did a lot of that. I had a coach that was like really, really mean to us <laughs> in Chicago. He's like, nobody cares about Valentine. And it was literally like that. And uh, they took that and made that Coach Creek, you know, with him screaming all the time. Uh, and then I did Ed in the room as well uh, because I love Bill and Ted, Excellent Adventure, Saved by the Bell. So I was like, well, dude, yeah, well, good, yeah. So I did those voices in there, uh, and the writers would bring us in the room, play with us, you know, as far as like, uh, what type of characters do you want to do? And we would create together. 
together, which was cool that they let kids do that at the same time. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, the only example I can really think of is that in the Clarissa audition, the, the producer asked me, it was my, my third audition, which was just to sit down with the producer, and he was, he's a tough cookie. And he was like, do you like New Kids on the Block? And I went, eh, I hate them. And then I went, oh gosh, he's in the industry. He probably knows them. It's probably his nephew. I just blew this. Like, I just totally blew this. And I'm sitting there in my head just going, what an idiot I am. What an idiot. Like, I just blew this. And he was like, well, who do you like? And I was like, they might be giants. And next thing you know, they might be giants is on the wall of Clarissa's bedroom. And so, um... I, in those ways, yeah, I mean, there are some things the producer put in there, she would never wear purple, although if you come to my booth, there's a Clarissa photo and I'm in purple leggings, so that's weird. But I think it's the only time that purple ever shows up on the show. He refused, he made it, he put it in the Bible, like every TV show has a Bible, and it's like the rules of the show, and um, there, there would never be purple displayed on Clarissa, or in her room, or something like that. So, and I've always asked him what that was about. He was like, I just wanted to see if people would follow the rule. So, um, yeah, at first he wouldn't tell us, and it's only recently that he's like, yeah, I just wanted to see if people would do that, if I could, like, have that power. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess in ways, like, I actually created an episode, I wanted my little sister on my show, on Clarissa, and I, I wanted to do an episode where Clarissa babysits like a total bad seed, and I wanted to be played by my little sister who's 10 years younger than me, Emily, who played Amanda in Sabrina years later, um, and funny enough, voices Clarissa in that book, Things You Can't Explain, She's she does the audiobook, but um, I wanted my sister Emily on it, and then the writers wrote the episode, and then they cast... Um, Michelle uh, Trackenberg instead of my sister. I was like, well, I love Michelle, but I wanted my sister in the show. <laughs> but yeah, so in some ways they took what I said, but I'm also not one of the actors that likes to change things in a script. I like to try to make it work the way they saw it. So I, um, I, I don't often make a lot of script changes or anything so like that, but I try to influence. So they never came to you and said, hey, what do you think that people your age would want to see? No, not really, but they do, I feel like every TV show they make you fill out some kind of form, and they're like, what can you do? I was like, I can play the flute, so if you watch Clarissa, I play the flute, and I can do ballet, okay, let's put you some ballet slippers for an episode, or, you know, so you find out what people's talents are, like, um, on Sabrina, Harvey, Nate, Richard, um, was a great dancer, so they did a scene where, like, he got a magical spell put on me, does this whole routine, because he could actually pull that off, you know, so finding out people's talents, they usually infuse the show with those sorts of things. But um, I can't say other than that they might be giants that I really had a lot of influence. <laughs> I would say things I didn't want to do. I'm like, I don't want to wear that. I don't want to say that. That's uncomfortable. That makes me awkward, like feel awkward, so. Thank you. That is a great question. I think so purple's like the green M&M that you hear that the musicians put in their writers, right? No green m and just to see if you actually read the document. I have never, in all of the, the Comic-Cons that I've done, have ever heard about the show Bible until today. So I will come to you, but I've got to get this one. Tell me more. So you say every show has, and is that like a, a known phrase? If I went up to someone else on episodic TV and was like, hey, tell me about your show Bible, they would know? Like, is that... So, and when, when is in the book, like when you say show? I've actually never seen a Bible, but everybody has to, I just recently went back to college in the fall and took a course on screenwriting, and you could either, in the class, you could either be writing a TV show, or you could write uh, a movie script, and if you're writing a TV show, you had to create a Bible. 
Um, but I wasn't part of the TV show writing, so um, I, I should know it. Do you know? Have you seen a Bible? Yeah, it's really just all like the, the rules that are in there as far as like, this is how the show goes, it's the outline, just the breakdowns, it's what actually happens with the show. And so and that like, way... Like, I would imagine yeah. Young Sheldon, like I work on Young Sheldon, and I can't imagine the Bible on that thing because the, the prophecy from Big Bang Theory is so severe. Dad has to have a heart attack, dad has to cheat on mom, like the things that have to happen because of what they've already put in the show before. So the timeline of things, like by the time Sheldon is this age, something has to happen, and he has to go to college at this age because they said it in the show before. So they have to follow the rules, right? Sort of. Yeah, and they, they mix up the writers sometimes, and so it's so that they can stay with the story. Because if they don't stay with the story, then it's like, what show am I watching now? <laughs> you know, so they just, oh, go to the show by the refer back to it. Yeah. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense, especially when you have a whole team of writers and people do move on and off. Shows. When they do, that's like Sabrina. We had one like one person wrote the pilot, but then we had a showrunner for the first season, but then we had a different showrunner for season two and three, and then different one for four or five. And you know, you're constantly switching people out, and each showrunner wants to create different characters. People always ask me why certain people didn't stay on Sabrina and whatnot. It's because each showrunner, I think, gets paid on the characters they develop. So if they bring in a new character, then they get paid on that character. So it's it kind of, you know, is beneficial to them to kick people out. Is and bring really in fresh blood. characters die because someone want, got a good idea and wants to bring in someone new to get paid? I don't like this. They don't like this. <laughs> Game of Thrones, they must have got paid a lot. No, seriously. Oh, I do not. Show is this? And it just gets warm. And I read the books and I knew it was coming in. It was still so brutal. Let's get to, right? Let's get to a question over here. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm Margarita from Alexandria. Hello, Margarita. And my question is, if you could go back, what work, what piece of advice would you give your Nickelodeon era self? And part two, what advice would you give to the current generation of the Nick Disney stars out there? <laughs> okay. You have good perspective. Okay, so uh, as far as like the new generation of kids, I was able to actually do that, which was was fun. Uh, we brought uh, all that back uh, in 2019. Me and Keenan, uh, I was able to tell the kids something that I wish was told to me. So I told them that this is not the thing that makes you special. All right, you were made special when you were born in the womb, when you were born. And so this is a job, and this is just a journey that you're gonna be on for a, a long time. You know what I mean, whether you decide to keep acting or not. Uh, this is just a stepping stone. And I wanted them to understand that so that they can have a good sense of self uh, and know who they are and know their worth. And then that way they enjoy the experience so it's not a lot of like competition or getting caught up in the character of who you're playing, you know? Um, so that was one thing that I told the, the new generation. And then as far as myself, uh, I would say enjoy the moment. Enjoy every uh, moment from it all, because I think I was just so like, I mean, it helped to an extent, but at the same time, I was just really like, I just got to be the funniest thing ever. And you know what I mean? And I've got all these characters, and I was like, I mean, it was good, because I was competing with myself every day with the characters, but at the same time, I was not really in enjoying it to the point of enjoying every moment. I was really just kind of going uh, focused. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm making it really crazy. But then at the same time, uh, still saying, hey, I was a teen at the same time too. It was a lot that uh, I took in as far as like uh, an adult role. Yeah. Okay. 
eye with growing up in a Delta in front of the public eye. You know what I mean? So I would just tell myself, hey, it's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I, you know, I just got to direct the cast of iCarly. They're not young. They're younger than me, but they're, you know, they're obviously grown-ups now. But, um, but I feel like, I don't know, when I work with younger kids and whatnot, I mean, a big thing for me in the industry is making sure that just because you are the star of a show, you don't act like the boss. Um, you're still part of a bigger crew of people that work together to make this show come alive, and with any one person, you can't do it. So um, trying to make sure that like the younger generation doesn't let this go to their heads. I mean, there's all these YouTube stars and all these... You know, people coming up and they think, my kids think that, you know, YouTube stars are just the most brilliant, amazing, you know, and, and, and you know, and kids on Nickelodeon and, you know, it looks like they, they've got it all going on, but they're still kids and I think they still need to act like kids, but they need to respect adults and they need to, you know, be professional if you're going to be on the set. Um, but I think that probably the, like, the advice I wish I was given, I wish I had stayed in school. <laughs> I wish I hadn't, um, kind of been forced to do like a homeschool situation, like a, it was tutoring. And nowadays you would call it virtual or whatever, but like, or like homeschooling. But um, I wish I had stayed in a school setting in a social atmosphere because I was pulled out of it to do the show and thrown into sort of a, a big job, a big career with a lot of pressure. Um, by the time I was, I was, I was acting since I was four, but by the time I was 14, I was doing Clarissa, like, yeah, like 13, 14. And it was like right around the time when I was going to high school and I no longer had friends. I had the two boys on the show and I had whoever rolled into the stage next door to me. Um, but not like, everybody was kind of in and out of my life and I learned really quickly to say goodbye to people that meant a lot to me in a short amount of time. Um, so it was hard, it didn't really nurture a lot of friendships. I do, I'm still very, very close with the people who worked on Clarissa. There's uh, the producer's assistant and uh, my wardrobe, um, girl, uh, Michelle and David, they are my kids' godparents. I just saw them last week in Connecticut, and um, I'm really close with them. You probably, you probably know Michelle. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so I stayed close with some of, some of the people, but they were a lot older than me, and I, so I had to kind of grow up quick. So I would probably say to, like, the next generation, like, you know, hold, hold tight to friendships, do good in school, keep, you know, keep looking forward. Like, this, this is a job, and you need to save your money, and then you can, you know, but don't like, don't put all your eggs in this basket. Like, keep moving forward. That's a great question, Margarita. Thank you. Yeah. So you 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 get pulled out of school. You're doing the tutoring, um, and now you just mentioned you've gone back to college. So what does that mean? <laughs> Tell me about that. Then. That's a perfect segue, right? I'm um, curious about this screenwriting. Yeah. No. You know what I realized? I like I fought so hard not to learn the industry because I felt like I was in the industry. I wanted to learn other things. So I did go to NYU off and on for seven years. Never graduated. Um, but I, like, what I, I studied everything except our industry. I studied sociology and child psychology, and, like, I, I dabbled in everything to try to find something, uh, Italian Renaissance. I was like, I gotta find something for when this acting thing fails, what am I gonna do? But I should have been probably just honing in on a craft, like, directing and writing. So now I'm working more on that. I've been directing... 20 years, but, you know, now I'm really, like, focused on directing, and now I want to write, because I realize as a non-writing producer, it's not as easy as being a writing producer, 
to get the things made that you want to get made. So I like I called Bill Murray and said I wanted to write this movie, will you be? And he's like, did you write it? And I was like, no, he's like, oh, okay, send it to me. But had I written it, he'd probably be like, let's do it, you know? Like, that's cool, like you wrote it, you're directing it, let's do it. But, um, so I was like, I really need to get this writing thing, like I need to figure out, I didn't think I could write, I thought I was a bad, I'm like, I'm a bad writer. And then I was like, well, no, I've never tried. <laughs> Maybe I should take some classes and try. So I read some books, I talked to some people I know in the industry that, Right, like Nick Bakai, who played the cat on Sabrina, he's the showrunner of Mom, and he was the showrunner of like King of Queens, and did some big shows. So I was like, hey, you're gonna mentor me. Actually, I owe him a script. It's due on Friday. <laughs> Classic college experience. Might be a few more weeks till he gets that one. Been a little busy, but um, yeah. So you know, so it's, I'm, I'm just, and I'm also like a lifelong learner. I just love learning, and I was a good student, and I hate that I was like pulled out of school because I was such a good student, and. The kind of environment we grew up in didn't really lend itself to getting an education. It was all about do the minimum so that you could be on set for maximum. Okay, thank you, thank you. Question over here, hi. Hi, JC from Frederick, Maryland. Hi, JC. Uh, this question's from Kel. Hey, um, given how serious Coolio took himself back in the 90s, <laughs> how he didn't want Weird Al doing that video station, uh, and he told everybody, hey, I'm doing a theme song to Keenan Kill. Come down! And every kid from Los Angeles was there. And it was like this big crowd, but uh, Keenan and I loved it. It was like we were like performing with Coolio, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. He, was, he actually did a spot on Sabrina, too. And I, and I actually did some race car driving with him. He's yeah, here in D.C., actually. <laughs> and he's like a really cool, laid-back kind of guy. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's a really fun guy. Yeah, we're still friends now. Yeah, he just has the two pieces of hair now. <laughs> <laughs> For real, he does that. <laughs> the rest is bald. It's good. <laughs> That's the only shout-out to you. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, question over here. Hi, I'm Stephanie Evans from Germantown, Maryland. I have actually a question for both of you guys as children actors. I'm a giant Star Wars fan. Kenobi series just dropped, obviously. Children actors are clearly in there. And my first thought was, oh my god, if this bombs, those kids are going to get destroyed. As children actors, how should fans support you guys through the children through negative crit uh, criticism? Because Star Wars fans, I hate to say it, and I just wanted to know, as a fan, how can I support these children that are taking in probably some of the biggest roles of replacing Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill? And, and Stephanie, to your point, social media factors into this now. Yeah, and we yeah, see and I that thought, honestly, was Phantom Menace and what we did to Jake. Yeah, um, yeah that was my first thought. So I you just know, wanted to know what your thoughts were on it. I, I have to say, you don't, hopefully, those kids and I don't know who they are, but hopefully they've gone through a lot of audition process because there's a lot of rejection in this business and you don't make it through unless you can handle rejection. So there is that aspect. Like, if you've been through the audition process, you've, like I was in the movie Crocodile Dundee, but I was cut out. I was told while I was on a set in Vancouver shooting a movie called Christmas Snow that I was cut out of Crocodile Dundee and it was a huge heartbreak, but I was like, oh, all right, do you have any salt and vinegar potato chips? You know, so. I think I was used to rejection, but I didn't take it as, I didn't take it as rejection. It was just another thing that happened in the industry. But we didn't grow up with social media, so I don't know how much they'll see. Hopefully, they're just super excited to be a part of the franchise. Hopefully, they made best friends with John Favreau, or they're like, you know, they, they get free passes to Disney. So I think they'll be okay, like in the sense that they're in this world. And 
I think also because the Star Wars world is so vast and huge, there's there's the the they will hopefully the good will drown out the bad. So if you guys feed them with a lot of like, you know what, what a great franchise, oh my god, it's so amazing, like if you see them at a con, you know, it's so amazing that you're a part of that family, like, you get to hang out with this one and that one and be on set with this person and do that and wear that costume and get shot by a laser or whatever, you know, like, you know, I think that all that cool stuff will overpower the fact that a few people might be like, that kid sucks, you know, I can't, he doesn't even look like him or whatever, you know. Hopefully, uh, you guys can drown it out with the good and that's what their parents will them. <laughs> yeah, that's why, uh, like what I was saying earlier, telling the kids to have a good sense of self and to know that this is a job of many and other things that you'll be doing in your life. Uh, this is not the whole thing. You know, it's important to say that. And then with the comments, too, because we dealt with that. I was on a show uh, called Game Shakers uh, on Nickelodeon. And with on that show, we had, you know, very young kids. And people even in that were, like, kind of mean in the comments. Why would she wear that shirt? What is she doing? You know? And the girls were like, oh, no. And I was just like, you know what? You need to start looking at the positive comments and just focus on that. It's front page of social media. And I know that can be hard because I've done it, too. You'll see all these, like, you'll have 100 positive things and one person can say one comment that's just Horrible, you're like, Ugh. you know what I mean? That's this with you. And the thing about it is, is that I was just letting them know, like, you know, focus on the positive. Like, really try to focus on that. Don't go towards letting it ruin your entire day. Get ready for your day, too, as well. Meaning that I'm going to respond to love. I'm going to respond to kindness. These people, this is a job. There's going to be other things that are going to be working for me in this. Um, that's very important. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, I mean, when you get a job like Star Wars as an actor, they're getting a ton of other calls before that movie's even finished. They're getting a ton of other calls from producers being like, hey, there's a Spielberg movie, you wanna, or you should be, like, I worked with Nick Robinson on my show, No Good, uh, uh, what was it, Melissa and Joey, that show. So Nick Robinson did Jurassic World when he was on our show, and then he went off to do Love, Simon, and then he did, you know, now he's in the show Made, and he was on the other, like, he's just got this massive career, and everybody's pulling at him, but before he even finishes one movie, you're on to the next movie, so if you're in that Star Wars world and you've been booked on it, your agents are making phone calls. He's in the next Star Wars. Do you want him to see him for this movie? You know, and it's probably got, they probably already lined up numerous jobs. So as far as their careers go, they're probably on a, like an uptick for sure. So hopefully they're riding that wave without letting their heads get too big. And, um, and you know, but there will be, there. this business is a roller coaster. It's not the kind of business where you build up to like, you know, you get the promotion, you get the corner office, you get the big raise, you know, it's, it's not a building kind of, job. It's very much a, like peaks and valleys. So um, hopefully those kids can ride that out. Stephanie, I think I'll make it a point to ask Noah Schnapp from Stranger Things when he's here. I mean, he's got 21 million TikTok followers, you know, millions on Instagram. I'll make it a point to ask him too as someone who is 17 and living exactly what you're talking about. So we'll get his perspective on that as well. Thank you for the question. Hi, how are you? Hi guys. Uh, Chris from San Antonio, Texas. Yo. This is a question for both uh, Keenan and Melissa. Um, you guys were both a big part of my childhood. I like Keenan. Sorry, Cal. No, it's okay. We both, we both get that. We get that all the time. We just back and forth. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. <laughs> so, you guys were both a big part of my childhood. Um, as a child of the 80s and the 90s, I, some, I find myself stuck in that decade sometimes, whether it's like the musical choices that I still listen to. Even the clothes I still wear, even some of the words I still use. And it's often much to the amusement of the younger people that work with me and work for me uh, at my job. 
a lot of jokes, old man jokes about it. Um, do you guys kind of find yourselves kind of stuck in the 80s and 90s as well uh, with that? And if so, like, do the people around you kind of like to maybe like poke fun in a different way and whatnot? No, 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 I'll say this, uh, you know, and, and the thing about it is be yourself, bro, you know what I mean? Enjoy being you, you know what I mean? I don't feel like it's a thing where you're stuck in the 90s or 80s, it's just a thing of like, look at it, like, I'm into fashion, you know, a lot of the 90s fashion is coming back, bro, so some of the stuff you got in your closet, bro, the teens are rocking right now, you know what I mean? So don't even worry about that, be yourself, be excited about, you know, the things that you enjoy, uh, you know, and if people are saying, you know, negative things, say, hey, man, just let that, that bounce off. You know, you kind of let them know, like, hey, this is my style. This is who I am. You know what I mean? And I like the 90s. As far as, like, with me, though, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, like, uh, being video yourself and, and doing, you know, like, I love uh, the people love the 90s uh, and love the shows that we were on. Uh, but uh, I'm not, like, a walking TVT. You know what I mean? I always kind of tell people that, like, you know, it's the thing is, is that there's so much more uh, to come and there's different levels and different things that you do within your life, but you can enjoy every decade. You can enjoy what's coming up in the future. You can enjoy the present. So, yeah, man, just enjoy life. <laughs> I, I have three, well, you have four kids. I have four. I, I got three boys and two of them are teenagers and they, they tease me all the time. But the thing is, like, I listen to lithium uh, XM radio, like 90s rock, like that's all I listen to. And if I'm listening to hip hop, it's like Track Club Quest and stuff from like back, you know, when I was listening, you know, I, I don't listen to new music. I'm starting to know it from like dancing at weddings or going to my kids' football game. And so, you know, I know a little like level up, you know, I whatever stuff. But like, my kids think I'm totally uncool, but that, that's normal, right? They're supposed to, right? The younger generation's supposed to, but at the same time, they also like, we went to 90s con a few months ago, not even like not that long ago, and it was, I mean, the fascination with the 90s is insane. So I feel like it's a, it's a good, it's probably like the way in the 90s I was obsessed with the 70s. I wanted my mom's bell bottoms and, you know, little tube tops and that kind of thing. So, I mean, on Clarissa, I wore a ton of like peace signs and onks and stuff. So I feel like, um, you know, we like, we always look at about 20 years previous as our style or our music uh, as being kind of vintage cool. And the 90s is now vintage cool, so I think it's something to celebrate, you know? And it's also like, the, I keep saying this, it's like the last age of innocence. It was like before 9-11 changed things and we have to take off our shoes at TSA. You know, it's before big drops and big serious, it seems like serious, I know there were always serious problems. If you listen to Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire, right? There's always been problems. But, um, good song to listen to right now, by the way. We have to figure out how to update that. But, um, you know, but then you, like, I feel like the 90s was still an innocence. And, um, and some of these kids will never get to really experience that sort of, you know, after the Cold War, I know growing up in New York, we were doing, like, air raid drills in case the Russians bombed us and stuff. You know, it was like, that stuff, that all those fears kind of went away in the 90s, and I feel like there was this one decade where it was like, it felt good for a minute. And, you know, you gotta know that people that were born after 2000 don't really have, 2001, really don't have that sort of sense. And um, So I like to celebrate it. <laughs> thank you both, and uh, thank you for making my child awesome. Hey. And you have found your people, I love it. Hi, question up here, how are you? Good. Uh, Jeff from Ashford, Virginia. Uh, my question is for both of you, and that is, 
when you are playing a character that you're uncomfortable with, how do you make it work? Necessarily want. Um, you can have that conversation with the producers, you know, uh, if they're obedient to <laughs> hearing what you want to say. Sometimes it's kind of like, this is what I want and this is what it is. Uh, but I feel like, in the, you have to look at it for me, a lot of the characters that I play, it's always like, what's the end result? You know, and for me, it's always, even within the story, it always has to be some type of message at the end, and I love playing characters like that, I love movies like that, so if there's some type of message in it, and if the character does something that's a little wonky that I might not want to play, but as long as it, the end message is something positive that I want uh, the audience to see or to hear, uh, then I'll go with it, you know, I'll go with it. But other than that, then I'll, I'll definitely talk to the producers about it. Yeah. yeah, I kind of agree about that, like, audition thing. Like, if you get a script, like, I just got a script that, I, that they wanted me to direct, and it was a really dark topic, and I wasn't really in the headspace to do it. They wanted me to rush through it, too, and I was like, I don't feel like this is a topic about human trafficking, and I was like, I don't feel like I can rush through this right now. I don't want to rush it. I don't want to be in that headspace right now. I know it's an important story to tell, but it was not, it's not my time to tell that story right now. Um, so, you know, I turned it down. It was a hard decision to make. Um, but I turn it down. But as far as like acting goes, I mean, if you're auditioning and you don't like the way that character is, or you don't like the, you know, what's coming, what's coming up for that character, you, you know, you can kind of steer away from it or just turn it down, which is hard to do, but important to do if you really have a strong feeling about something. But it's more difficult when you're like in a series and you're like playing that character in season three and all of a sudden they, you know, want you to do something uncomfortable. I don't know, just even like any script I get, I'm like, okay, when's the kissing scene? You know, like, who do I have to kiss? How many times? Um, you know, what, what are we talking about? Is it like, you know, are we, is it just a kiss? Is it like a makeout session? Is it like in bed? Is it, you know, so those kinds of things, like, I'm always like, all right, listen, you know, there's always going to be uncomfortable moments in anything, even if I have to cry. If there's a scene, if there's like, I have a movie coming out on Saturday, um, where uh, it's called Dirty Little Secret on Lifetime. Um, and uh, it's dark, like, and I had to, but it was probably the first time I didn't freak out about, like, big emotional scenes. Um, I felt pretty confident in the playing of this character and the development that I did leading into it that I could pull off some of these harder scenes. But usually if there's, like, a scene where I have to cry or something, I'm like, I'm stressing about it. I'm like, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not a really ugly crier. I turn red. I snot. Like, I don't get, like, the Demi Moore tear roll down my cheek, right? I'm not, like, I'm not Claire Danes. I can just turn it on and one little tear goes down. I can't do that. I look totally awful. It, it, you know, people are like, "What the what the hell's going on with you?" <laughs> like, sorry. Um, so I get really uncomfortable doing those sorts of scenes. But you know, if you want to play the character and you want to, you just try to dive in. You try to be prepared. You try to work with the director or other actors, and you know, and work through some of those uncomfortable moments. But there's always uncomfortable moments in every story. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the question. Hi, question over here. Hi, Sam from Illinois. Hey. My question, um, obviously, being a celebrity, the effect you have on people, could you please share, uh, an, like, a, a 
hate to say emotional, but one of your favorite moments you've had with a fan? My, it's hilarious, like, you guys might get mad about this, but um, when, I love when people come up to me, when they're Clarissa fans, Clarissa fans are the cutest, because they come up and they always go, like they'll be like, oh, my daughter wanted your autograph because they like Sabrina or this one, and then they always, Clarissa fans always do the exact same thing, they go, but I remember you from Clarissa, like, <laughs> like I'm the only one, and it's so funny, because I hear it all the time, and so people are like, can you guess what I know you, from? like, a gentleman yesterday, I, do you, can you guess what I know you from, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be Clarissa, because you did the little eye side, like, <laughs> shows on uh, Nickelodeon, uh, I would have the young kids come up that never even watched Good Burger, and then I have the mom watching, so the mom and the daughter are coming up for, for different reasons, uh, but in like an emotional way, uh, I really like those like really serious like stories for fans, uh, I had one um, person to come up, uh, and her friend was dealing uh, with suicidal thoughts, not to get really deep on it, but it was just like, they were coming up and it was really deep, and I always feel like um, when you you need to really be yourself, social media has created that for us, because I remember back in the day, people only knew us for our character. And what I use social media as is to show like who, who I really am, you know? And if you're coming to see, oh, I love Good Burger, and I love all these shows, and I love the movies that you do, but then I didn't know that you, you know, you love God, you deal with, uh, you know, motivating and all these different things. Uh, and I love that. And so a fan came up to me and said, man, I, I saw something in, about your life and about your story that you said online, uh, and it really changed my friend's life. They think they were really about to take themselves out of here. They heard how you dealt with it and how you didn't do that. And so I just want to thank you in that moment. And we both had a big hug at that moment. And I told them to continue to live. But I feel like that's what's so important, to know that we are all family and nobody's bigger than anybody else and that we all are here for a purpose. So Marshall, and he had this great, like, voice, like, he'd be a voice actor, and he was like, I love that you're a Jesus freak like me, and it was like, it's just such a great moment, so when you talk about showing who you are on social media, that resonates with me. Yeah. Question, we are running out of time, and I think we might, if we go quickly, maybe we can get to all of them. Go ahead. Uh, hi, this is Joseph from Arlington, and I, and I remember that the shows, like, Keenan and Kel and Blitters, that were filmed at Nickelodeon Studios, at Universal Studios, Flourish. And uh, I want to ask, uh, what was your favorite memory or moment while filming at Nickelodeon Studios? <laughs> we were talking about this backstage. Don't tell me, uh, tell me what you told me the other day. <laughs> no, um, you know what? I, I know, we were like, do you remember much about Nickelodeon? Because how are we going to talk about this? Um, <laughs> oh, God, that was a long time ago. Okay, I've had like a few kids and a few experiences and lived in a few different cities. Um, but yeah, Orlando was interesting. I was living in New York and going down there, but it was a brand new, what I remember is it was a brand new facility, beautiful sound stages, unlike the ones in New York and LA, which were like full of asbestos. So it was nice to have a nice, clean, big, state-of-the-art studio. Um, 
one of the funny things is, did anyone here ever go on the tour of Nickelodeon back when it was, yeah? So do you remember the gag, the like slime kitchen? Yeah, it was like, like slime time was a whole thing. Yes. So we had to go, so when you came through the tour, you could like go up above the, um, the sound stages, so you, like the tour would come through, and sometimes they, I guess they'd be like, let's see what's going on down on the Clarissa sound stage, and apparently I cursed a lot. So, oftentimes they'd be like, let's go see what's going on down in Clarissa, and they'd pipe in the sound, and I'd be like, mother, you know, like, okay. So they're like, you have to stop cursing so much. But the, but it was also awkward, because like, wardrobe, the people would walk through wardrobes, so we had to like get changed in there, and it's like, there's like a drape, and I'm like, there's people like, what's going on in here? And you're like, I'm getting naked. Um, and then you went through the slime and gag kitchen where you got to taste, so my favorite thing to do was like stop and like have like, can I have some pudding? Thank you. Do you have any applesauce? Okay, thanks. Like, they had these giant vats of applesauce and slime that they colored for the slime and the gag. So that was, I was like, oh, a little vanilla pudding, thank you. But then makeup and hair also was there, so you're like getting made up. Luckily, I was a young girl, not an old woman, and um, you know. But I would get my like hair highlighted and stuff, and like I have foils in the hair, and there goes the 6 p.m. tour. And you're like, hi everybody, just getting my hair done. Don't mind me. Um, so it was fun, but it was also like, you know, people would always on the street be like, oh, I saw you with the foil in your hair. Oh, great, awesome, great tour. I remember uh, going to, because uh, you had numerous studios right there, and so you had all the crazy rides, uh, and so Keenan and I, uh, I remember we were dressed as Mavis and Clavis, the two old guys, and so uh, we were like, let's just go on, you know, onto the park dressed as Mavis and Clavis, and so we went on the park dressed as Mavis and Clavis, and we took the golf cart, you know, like the, the golf cart, so we just took the golf cart, so now we're zipping through the park, uh, and we ended up on the actual tour, and you know you're supposed to take a tram, but we were taking a car, <laughs> so now we're riding through it, and we're, oh look, there's the psycho house, and we're just riding on it, now you're not supposed to do this, this is illegal, like what we're doing, and so we're all back there, right here we're kids, and so now security comes, we have park security that's literally following us, we're like, what are we going to do, like our parents are going to kill us, you know, just the producers, and so the guys came up, and we're like, yo, just stay in character. <laughs> and so this was improv skills on 100, right? So we're like, I'm, I'm just an old man. I don't know what's happening. I just, uh, I took a wrong turn over here. And they rolled us up actually as old man, and we were good. We, we got off. That's the whole thing. Leave the fuck, okay? I'll just go over there. I'll be That was much more exciting. We used to just like be like, it's lunch break. Can we go back to the future? <laughs> I love that story that they told about Universal Studios and their experience there because, hey, Haunter's Podcast, we talk about Halloween Horror Nights. We talk about Universal Studios. We talk about all things haunt, but it began with Universal Studios, Halloween Horror Nights. So I really enjoyed that. I think it's really funny to hear Melissa Joan Hart uh, talk about how on the Clarissa Explains It All days, uh, she was known for having a foul mouth there at the Universal Studios Florida location i also thought it was funny the story she told about the fans that are clarissa fans where it's like oh my daughter knows you from sabrina but i know you from because i kept saying 
all weekend I was like, oh man, if I get a chance to go and meet Melissa Joan Hart, I'm totally going to bring up the fact that I've been a fan since Clarissa Explains It All, that I loved Clarissa Explains It All, one of my favorite shows from the Nickelodeon days, from being a Nick kid. So when she started telling that, you can hear me, you heard me laugh, because that that's me. I'm that fan, so yeah. that's uh, That was a fun panel. Uh, next up, again, this Sunday was a packed day. Uh, next up, we had star of Breaking Bad, star of The Boys, star of Better Call Saul, uh, the star of Star Wars, The Mandalorian, a man that always plays the bad guy, but is one of the nicest guys. Uh, and this was a very interesting panel because we learned, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, and, and learned a lot about his mindset, about where he was as an actor. There are some things that I actually didn't know. Like, for instance, I did not know that at one point he was completely bankrupt and poor. And he talks about that, those experiences, where it led him to today. Also gets a little rah-rah in there. Uh, I, I will say that at, at one point, gun control, and he starts talking about social justice issues. So it, it was a very, uh, it was an interesting panel for sure to be a part of, an interesting room to be a part of, uh, but a fun room as well. And, and uh, here it is without any further ado. Uh, let's get into awesome con panel number two on Sunday. Give it up for Steph Strickland. Let's get to questions. You guys are already lined up. Hi, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from? 
spectrum, but also has the ability to care. In, in your character development, is it your classical training that's getting you there? How are you figuring out the layers of this so that you're not one-dimensional? Every one of your villainous characters are different and nuanced. Well, I think like we've seen the one-dimensional character. We've seen the stereotypical um, mobster with a little puppy dog who just kills everyone. We've seen that person who's out of control and, and really has a bloodlust, and that's all that matters. But what we, what I like to, to discover and show is that the hero, and I say this a little bit about my character in Mandalorian, um, the anti-hero is what is a fallen hero. And so that hero, he had at one point wanted people to listen to him, and they didn't. And so then he decided he had to do something um, to sort of show people that he had a better idea. This pertains to Gus as well. He can do it better. To answer the last girl's question, Gus would certainly mostly, more than likely, enact some kind of punishment on those who took the life of a child, without a doubt, because that's the Gus I created with a moral compass. I like to create characters who care about people and who think they're doing something that is going to help folks or, and also in tandem with furthering what they really want, what their intention is. Uh, however, that person is a real human being and not someone who just doesn't care. And so that's what makes the characters and the villainous characters that I play, or the anti-heroes who were once heroes that I play, more human because we all make mistakes. We all have an idea of, of, of what our egos really are that push us to places where we don't really feel like it's comfortable or it should be right, but yet we do it anyway, out of desire and want and or retribution or, or jealousy or whatever those things are. And so to create a character that's truly human, you have to create someone who has some goodness inside them to begin with and then take that and shift it and move it that they can't, they're unable to hear their own faults and work through that in that way. The idea that Mothian somehow is, believes that he is going to create a better world through his actions is fascinating to me. Now I've got to go back and watch the whole thing over again. Hi, how are you? Hi, good morning. Good morning, what's your name? Hi, I'm Caroline. I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. And I would like, first of all, to thank you for coming. Welcome. And Second thing I would like to say is, by watching school days, you've inspired, you've inspired my brother to go to my HBCU and me becoming a T9 Greek. So thank you for that. Love it. Yeah, bye. Julian, 
who thought in many ways that he was somehow better because of the lightness of his skin, but also was a very smart man who was in some ways a leader uh, with a lot of ego, um, a lot of good looks, and someone who wanted to control what was going on around him and didn't quite have the understanding that everyone is to be respected no matter who or what color you are. But we're in a society within the Greek society uh, on an African-American culture that is a competitive one. And so let's not forget that Spike, in so many ways, is a coach. He's that wonderful basketball coach. He's a wonderful football coach. He's the guy that likes to see people compete to win. And that's a different idea than just meritocracy. That's the idea that, you know, all of the good looks and all of the, the, the physicality and all that could allow you to win. But aren't we in a world that's the same way? And so um, I really enjoyed playing that character to be able to touch upon all those different colors of who Julian is um, on screen in that particular movie. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Come on up. My name is Michael. Uh, you've been great courses across tons of films, like Do the Right Thing, School Days, and shows like Breaking Bad, The Boys, and then Lauren. And I want to know, of all the characters you played, who are your top three favorite characters that you played? Oh, it's so interesting. Um, I get asked that a lot, and it's, it's um, and I hate to let people down with a non-answer, um, but I realize, <laughs> I realize I have to be as honest as possible. Um, there are characters that I feel like I've had more to do than other characters, that I excelled at in a different way, that I dropped to a point where I connected on a soul level uh, in, in a, a deeper, different, more, a deeper depth. Um, okay, so timing is everything. Our time in life, when the door opens, are we ready to walk through it? Our time in life, when we feel like in the groove, like you ever have those days where you're like in the groove, like in the pocket, where you feel like nothing bothers you, everything can go wrong, wrong around you, but you are just in such a graceful place like you're walking on water. That happens with actors when you meet a role that has all the elements that agree with you. And so that happened for me in Breaking Bad. Um, it was just a time in my life where I could take time to breathe. I recognized there was great writing. I could take the time to not want to change that writing because I couldn't make it better. But how could I control the chaos? How could I control the pressure within me that wants to give you an answer? We're in a society where people are asked a question and we're expected to have an answer like that without even thinking about it. And I attest that if you take the time, you hear that space? To let the space of the universe allow and afford you a moment to think and feel and put your answer together, you would be much more truthful, organically real, and honest than you ever have been before because you're giving yourself that gift. Moth Gideon, I get the comparison between Moth and between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Moth Gideon, I'm like a kid. As intense, possibly, a little bit more uh, strident as someone who wants to control the chaos. Not as calculated as Gus, but a whole hell of a lot more fun. <laughs> so I love that because I, I, one of the prerequisites for me when John said, I have a role for you, was just give me a cape, baby, and I'm done. <laughs> Question honestly, and you mentioned one other. What was the other show you mentioned? Uh, 
boys? The boys. Oh, another. So I never. I always wanted to play a company man. Gus is his own man. Moff Gideon is his own galactic star who has to deal with a board of people and manipulate them to get them to what he wants. Stan Edgar is the face behind Boy. So I, 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 I hate company men, but I always I hate them because they're just like, they just do it. Oh, no, I'm very sorry, but your card will have to work. No, I'm sorry, we can't give you a refund. No, the company says, you know, you know I, I hate that. I always want to question authority. But, 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 yeah, baby, but, 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 but Stan Edgar is somehow more than that because he's representing a company, but he is the company, he's the face of the company that you see. And he's faced with people who could just, you know, like Homelander could just laser him. But somehow he has enough gravitas to not be afraid and to put him in his place and to tell him, look, don't be a child. Just do what I tell you to do. Like, you know, go out and make your appearance. You know, so he has a power of his own. So all three of those characters I really love. Um, I, I, I can't just figure one that really works for me now, but in the moment of me playing each of them, each of them work for me like Gangbusters. Thank you for your question. Hi, my name is Connor from Leesburg, Virginia. Hi, Connor. Good morning, and why do you want baby Gordon so much? Ah, I'm gonna squash that little figure. <laughs> uh, so I have to create a space, and it's a great question. A lot of people ask me where I feel like all of you. Um, matter more than what I want. And so I believe very simply that, that mom, and I have to leave this for myself, it may not even be true, but as an actor you give yourself something real to play for a purpose and a reason. And I believe he wants um, Rogu, Baby Yoda, so that he can um, test that baby and be able to harness some of the power that that child has. He wants to learn about it so he can share it, maybe just for himself, but maybe with the world, uh, because this baby is special and he wants to study it and know how it got to be special. Thank you, Abigail. You're welcome, you too. You're welcome. Hi, come on, I have a question. Hi, I'm Maria from Los Angeles. Hi. And I'm Jay from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, yeah. So, we had a question. Um, in addition to all the great work you've done, uh, we really liked the work you did in a movie called The Show, where you were an actor and a director, and we just wanted to know if, uh, how your experience was as a director and an actor in the project, and if you looked at you more directly. Uh, wow, I'm, I'm so happy you saw that film. It was very special to me. It was a four-year labor of love to make it. It was uh, titled, um, This Is Your Death. And it, it was a, a film that was really an examination of our idea of entertainment. Um, I was very inspired by a film many years ago called The Face of the Crowd, uh, which I thought was a really wonderful movie about a person who was an everyman, a drum, really, uh, guitar player, Andy Griffin, had the performance of his life in that movie, who went from there to being a star of television to being the person, the oracle that America listened to uh, and was inspired by uh, eventually because of his homespun um, country kind of wisdom and charm. And um, it's all about the television industry. It's a powerful movie, This Is Your Death, but it's about people who've come to the end of their existence and take their life on national television for a reason, for money, for a prize. And uh, it, it, it reminded me of maybe where we're going today in our world where human life is not regarded um, in, in, a, in a valuable way. 
Uh, so the film itself, um, again, it was a four, four or five year labor of love, was a, a compilation of scenes, and I wanted a story behind it. Josh Duhamel came on for the ride, Bobka Jansen, uh, uh, James Franco uh, did a cameo for me, and I also had a starring role. It's about every man who's trying to make it can, and Mason is working um, at the studio, and is failing in his life and everything else, and decides and only, the only way for his family to survive would be for him to become a contestant on the show and win so that they would get the million dollars and, um, and could live a beautiful life as he was gone. Uh, it's a very special film to me because I, I went bankrupt in Connecticut with my um, former wife and family and was thinking that the best way for me to have them have a life, um, and I had already been acting for years, everyone went south, and I was at the bottom of the barrel, and nothing was happening, and I thought, well, my, my former wife was in insurance, and I thought if I got someone to take me out, then they would get the policy and they'd be able to survive. It was a very, very depressed place in my life, and I wanted to speak to it because of the condition of where some people are in America today. We have the wonderful ability to come here and to be in wonder, enchantment, joy, excitement at a Comic-Con. Those of you who come in costumes, um, and those of you who don't, it doesn't matter. You come to meet not only your celebrities, but you also go to Artist Alley, you see people who are expressing themselves in every way that is, is, is what we're supposed to be doing in life. And even though it's a weekend getaway, it's probably one of the best weekend getaways you could ever have, to be in that joy and wonder of a child. But again, as we get older, we get a little bit jaded, we change our focus, we change our thought about who we are. I'm just a big kid. So This Is Your Death was a film that wanted to express the feelings of where do we go from here when you're at the end of your road? You know where we go? We lift each other up. We find ways to help each other. We find ways to not let someone fall through the cracks. And that takes a collective thinking uh, on all of our parts that can change the world in which we live. It can change our America. Let's start with America first. This place we call America is a mess right now. We need help. We need to figure out how to convince our elected officials to ban firearms and ban guns. understanding and, and the idea that we can be a different society and other governments in the world immediately have taken steps um, to do this and we haven't. Now I understand there may be even people in the audience who understand as well the opposite side of it. There is a flip side but, but right now it's out of hand and, and we have to try to find a way to bring people together to say we want to preserve our lives because this issue is in the way of a bigger issue, as big an issue, which is the environment, right? We, if we don't do something now, we lose the world. So my film was the beginning of some statements I'd like to make as a director and film. I love directing. I directed episode 606, Axe and Grind of Better Call Saul. I hope you all realize that and enjoy it. But as an artist, just to finish, as an artist, I feel a responsibility to speak to large issues in our community, in our world, that would reflect some kind of hope that we can survive, but first we have to come together as a unit, as people, beyond race, color, creed, and origin, to be able to do things that will allow people to wake up. It's time to wake up, and the time is now.
sit with that incredible answer. Uh, question over here. Thank you for that. Hello, I'm Robert. Uh, I grew up in Maryland, and I'd be interested to hear about your experience working on another really good show, Homicide Life on the Street. And particularly, uh, what it was like, what your relationship was like with your TV dad, Yafet Koto. Oh my goodness, thank you for asking that question. I love Baltimore. Uh, I found it to be a real place with real people. Uh, they speak their own language there. You know, how you doing, huh? Uh, I really was excited to be there. It, it was um, a wonderful experience to work um, with Tom Fontana, who wrote it, and I really, really adored Yafet Kodo. God rest his soul. Uh, what a wonderful actor, but a very regal and, and wonderful person. Uh, a man who really, so there's something about the self-esteem of us all, and me as an actor, no, I know I go in and out of feeling good about myself when I'm in front of the camera, and I, I like to say, that I want people to feel like they have a contribution. Yafet always walked in a regal way. He spoke in a regal way, with respect for all of his co-stars and everyone else. When he disagreed with something that may have been written, he went with utmost respect to the writers to say, maybe this could be this, this way, maybe it could be that way. And, it, and my mom used to always say, he reminded me of this, you get more with sugar than you do with salt. And so, yeah, I'm a reactor, I'm a major volcano, holding it all down inside. When you finally see Gus get a chance to do something, he's, he you know, does something reprehensible in 401 box cutter because it's all been in there. He does it coolly and calmly, but he still lets it out. Um, I don't want to be a reactor anymore. I want to be an uplifter. I want to bring people to their best selves, and Yafet Koto did that in every sense of the word. Made me feel comfortable, made me feel grounded, allowed me to know, um, because he always would say, no one knows if it's true or not, that he was the son of royalty, that he was a king. We all are kings and queens, princes and princes, princesses, and we should know and allow each other to feel, always look at each other and say what works first. As an acting teacher, I say what works. What works for me about who you are? What works for me about what you display about yourself? And then what could be cultivated further? Nice way of saying, suggestion from what I see, you, this could be cultivated a little bit more. So it's a loving, kind, and graceful way of lifting someone up. You would want me to be my best self. Every time I'm on television and you see me, wouldn't you want me to be my best self? Well, I want the same for you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, how are you? 
Giancarlo, uh, Chris from San Antonio. Um, as a longtime Star Wars nerd, also as a longtime admirer of her incredible work, when I saw Agent One screen as Moff Gideon the first time, uh, I just squealed with joy. It was just so awesome to see him on screen. That being said, prior to taking the role of Moff Gideon, were you a fan of the franchise? And also, what sort of media from the franchise did you maybe consume to prepare for the role? I loved this franchise in the very beginning. Um, I thought it was um, really some, something that was a really... George's work in the early days was absolutely amazing. Uh, it allowed us to go to a planet far, far away and discover um, ourselves within the mirror of the characters that he presented. I had fallen in love with Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. Uh, I had fallen in love with Luke Skywalker. There was a vulnerability and a heroic feeling that these two somehow could save the world from the darkness that was about to take it over. Uh, I, I followed the movies for a number of years until they became um, somewhat tentpole. And when I say tentpole, it means more Hollywood box office, trying to make a movie that would bring people in to create a large amount of box office. And then I started to lose it. Um, I loved the mechanical characters that were so real, um, that were able to guide human beings. We're coming to that time in our period now. Robots, R2D2, all these different elements of, of mechanical beings who had some kind of wisdom. What I really missed was the idea that George had connected to the idea of the power of myth. These stories are mythological. And that within that mythology, we're able to see, almost like Once Upon a Time, which were grim story, story uh, tales. Uh, this story allowed us to be heroes through many characters depicted within it. And the power of myth um, was really talked about for the first time in a real clear way in America by Joseph Campbell. And George Lucas was a friend of Joseph Campbell's. So all this mythology really affected George. And it's the, the, it's the, the fodder of great storytelling that we can look at these stories and go, I can do that. I can be that. I can, I can encompass and embody that kind of life if I choose that. Now, that can be your, your life and my life in smaller increments. So um, it lost me for a while, and when I started to read Mandalorian and started to, I became a part of it, it's changed my life. Because all of a sudden I'm reminded, all we need is for our best friends to go, hey, remember when you drank, you had this dream? I write down sometimes in my autographs, dream big, especially for those who come for an autograph for Once Upon a Time. Sidney always thought that one day he was going to be with the evil queen. He was going to be with her. He was going to get her. He loved her. She's going to turn good. It's all going to be very hopeful. No, it wasn't going to happen. But, <laughs> but yet, he still had that dream. So um, this particular show was important because you have the unlikely hero. You have Mandalorian. He doesn't want to be with that kid. He's got to fulfill his earthly obligation. He's got to fulfill what he's been asked to do because he keeps his word. He's truthful to himself. And then, then through the journey, he learns something from this little baby who he never thought could teach him anything. He just wants to get rid of this kid. But through the journey, he's protected, he's taken care of, and he is elevated. I love this particular show, I really do. Thank you so much for being here with us. Hello. Hi there. Hi, my name is Carlos. I'm from Aberdeen, Maryland. 
question for you is, throughout your entire career, did you ever feel the need for mentorship? And if you did, how did you go about gaining those relationships? That's a great question. You know, sometimes we need help, and I, I sometimes am someone who is, uh, it's difficult to ask for help. I started when I was seven years old, and I had many mentors who came to me in a natural way. Um, one of the first was a drummer named Bakumi Okunya. Uh, who was from Africa and who played drums in our show. And some of the things that came out of his mouth were, were really ancient in many ways. Um, I think of him, I don't know why today, but he gave me a little kernel of wisdom. James Earl Jones was another really wonderful mentor to me, um, a guy who learned his script backwards and forwards and had all the emotion of it. And you go in his dressing room and he has a stack of books and newspapers. I'd be in my dressing room with just the script for the play. <laughs> On his breaks in between shows, he's reading all this other prose. So it made me understand how prolific he was in regard to the amount of information he could take in. Um, a wonderful performer. Uh, I knew his father before him. I ran the New York City Marathon with Robert Earl Jones, his dad, uh, many, many years ago. Um, so he was another mentor. L look, you, you can seek out a mentor, and you probably should. Good advice is hard to come by with someone who really cares about you. Um, I had an eighth grade school teacher who for many years was a mentor of mine. Um, good on and said things that helped me and things that also didn't help me, that allowed me to think realistically. I went bankrupt, I went to her to borrow money, so I'll give it to you. She said, oh my gosh, you should have never had four kids. And I went, excuse me? She said, I feel so sorry for you. You're never gonna recover. You're a couple of million dollars in debt. And I was shocked, because she was my teacher, and, and I regarded her as a mentor. But even that taught me something. And I said to her, I'm in the one business, the one business that I can recover. Somehow I can recover. I'm not looking to be a star, I'm looking to be a journeyman actor. I know I can recover. Shirley Rich, casting director. It's the last example I give you. I went in for a film called Taps, and she said to me, she looked at me and shook her head and said, Giancarlo, you really, you really have to learn how to act. I was crushed. I was crushed. And, I, and she said, well, let me qualify that. You need to learn how to act for the screen. You've been on stage. You know, everything's hitting the last row. Right? You're too big. You have to bring it down. It was for a movie called Taps. George C. Scott, Timothy Hutton. Yeah, baby. And I didn't get it. And I walked out and I was crushed. So I suggest you go do some plays. I left. I went and did a play at the Negro Ensemble Company, which I won the Ovi Award for, for straight drama. I left and I went down to Henry Street Settlement and did two more dramas. A year later, I get a call. Shirley Rich wants to see you for this movie called Taps. I said, this is deja vu. I said, that movie was already done. They said, nope, they, they postponed it. It wasn't done. They want to see you again. I went in and read for Shirley. She looked at me and she went, what did you do? I said, I did what you told me to do. See, you can't lead unless you can follow. You can't lead unless you can follow orders. You can't lead unless you can take someone's advice to heart and then do it. The young man walked up to me on the street last night as I was walking home from dinner for the hotel. Can you give me some advice on how to get into acting? I said, get into an acting class. Read everything. Study, study, study. Well, what about connections? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, what about connections? He was young. And in our world today, it's LinkedIn, it's connections, it's, it's social media, it's the internet. What about talent? 
I said to her, what about talent? Don't you want to know if you have any talent or if you really love it? Everyone thinks it's a cakewalk and it's fun, or not everyone, but many people. But I, I believe that it only happens and you can only stay at the top of your game if you keep investing in you. See, your investment is in you. Your investment is in cultivating the idea that you could be excited about something. I don't care if you're acting in computer science or anything else. Your investment 10 minutes a day determines your tomorrow. If you invest in that 10 minutes, that means you're really committed. If you don't, you don't want it bad enough and you ain't gonna get it.
that I've lived a full life and I've worked um, diligently to cultivate my talent and craft, to be an example for others that the world can be better and to uplift them and lift them to new heights in championing them. You know, we have to be the champion of ourselves, but I want to champion all of you for all the good work you do on you so that you're able to lift other people up in a, a new, original, and beautiful way. I used to think I just wanted to be regarded as the star, great, wonderful actor, but I realized there's no separation between my life and what I do. And if I really exemplify who I really am, then I would know in my heart the words I often say is that you're not who you think you are. You have the ability to soar. You have the ability to be all that you ever wanted to be. Intention is everything in guiding you and bringing you to the voice that is originally who you are inside. And that gift has a lot to offer people. So in my legacy, I'm hoping that they would look and see that I lived a life, especially the second half of my life, that was more to be in service, that was more about the I, more about the we and the us than the I and the me. So think about it. To be about the we and the us is to be in service, to uplifting, being a partner, being a compassionate partner in our community, our society, in our world. But we're told that I want this and that I can do this and that it's all about me from advertising to making money to being in a queue that you want to get in front of somebody for. And I tell you, as you start to mature in your lives and you start to understand that we are all in this together and there's nothing else that means anything or that matters. And so I hope that in the end, my legacy will be that I have been a connector, an uplifter, and someone who believes in you, and someone who believes in me, and someone who believes that we can change the world. There you have it. That is uh, one half of the day three coverage of Awesome Con 2022. We'll have the final part. Noah Schnapp, Sean Astin coming up in next week's show as hype for Stranger Things season four. That's also the panel where I got to ask a question to Noah. I feel it's the question that actually jinxed the New York Rangers. So F me for that one. But it was worth it nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, that'll be coming up next week. And speaking of Stranger Things, Season 4, Part 2, or the final episodes, I do want to share some quick thoughts on that before I wrap this up and go take my umpteenth nap of the day to try and defeat COVID for good. I loved the trailer that was dropped. I think this is going to be an epic two-episode finale that's coming for Part 4. I really do believe that we are going to get a major death. There was somebody missing prominently from the trailer. And, you know, that could obviously be a swerve. But I find it quite interesting that this person was left out. Because I've actually said for a while uh, since uh, 
I've been shipping for Nancy and Steve to get back together. So for Jonathan to be very absent from the trailer, but seeing that it seems like they all are back together at that point, and for Jonathan to be missing from a lot of it, I feel like Jonathan might be the one to go. Uh, I, I've said, I, I've been saying since the end of the first part, I feel like we're getting to a point where, and, and the kids are old enough and the show's progressed far enough, we need to start having some major characters get axed off. Uh, and that is something that Noah Schnapp actually brings up next week in the Stranger Things panel that he that I uh, sat in on at AwesomeCon. But I do think that we're getting to a point where we might get one or two major character deaths plus another big reveal of some type in these final two episodes. It looks very epic. It looks very good. I'm excited. I cannot wait for the nearly four hours of two episodes of Stranger Things that are coming. What, I think it's like an hour and 20 minutes and then like a two-hour finale or something stupid like that. Uh, just a lot of Stranger Things coming in two episodes, which I'm cool with. But yeah, I love that trailer that dropped. I, I, I'm banking money that Jonathan is not going to make it out of this season. So we'll see. And next week, you'll get to hear what Noah Schnapp had to say leading up to part two of Stranger Things, as well as Sean Astin and his take on being involved with Stranger Things and all things Sam Wise and really his illustrious career. He makes a great Sean Bean comparison as well. That's your tease for Sean Astin next week. He talks Sean Bean and himself. So until next week, um, stay safe, stay healthy, don't get COVID. Thankfully, I got my shots and my booster so this has sucked, but it has not sucked as bad as, as it could have. I could only imagine how this would feel the chest pains and stuff if I was not uh, vaccinated up. So be safe, everybody. And until next week, peace and love. <laughs>